The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. It was really, it was really great last week when the lights went out. It was such a, such a typical Grace Community Church experience, right? Nobody moved, everybody just sat still, just assuming that I would keep preaching, and, and, uh, and of course they did. And, um, but we're going to kind of start over, we're going to do a do-over, um, not completely though. So turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We've been traveling through 1 Corinthians 12 or 1 Corinthians for I don't really know how long, but it may be a few years now, but we now are on the section that deals with the gifts 12, 13 and 14. And we're going to read verses 4 through 11. It's the reading of God's word. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of ministries. And the same Lord, there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. So I, I, I noted last week that this, this whole issue of spiritual gifts has really become sort of a controversial area, and I think that a better way uh, of approaching this section, instead of saying to ourselves, okay, what gift do I have? Uh, Rather, I think the better way is for us to simply say, the Spirit gives roles and assignments for the good of the body, And by His grace and by His Spirit, He does equip us to do those things. But instead of saying, Lord, what gift have you given me? Maybe we should be asking, Lord, where do you want me to serve? What do you want me to do? Because the, the typical approach, typical evangelical approach, is to come to these passages, especially the lists, the the one that we just read, and we'll see another, and to try to figure out what do I have, what gift do I have. So this is, I I was looking for something in my office and um, found this by mistake, mobilizing spiritual gifts, the modified height spiritual gift survey. Now, by the way, the reason this is in my office is because a number of years ago, uh, a pastor was working on a doctor of ministry project and asked if he could send me some surveys. And I said, yes. And this was one of them. So I filled it out. So let me tell you what my gifts are. So you know how these things work, right? You ever taken one? This is, for those of you that haven't, good for you. Um, you read each question and then you mark what you think. So there's a question, and then you have frequently, sometimes, seldom, or never. All right? So I have unusual sensitivity for recognizing thoughts or impressions that are from the Holy Spirit. So you have to judge yourself on that. So, um, We won't tell your clients that pay you good money. Number two, I respond freely and willingly to requests for financial support of worthy Christian endeavors. I find joy in assuming routine aspects of another's responsibilities to free them for other things. It goes goes on and on. And um, there are, um, boy, let's see, how many questions were there? There were 75 questions. So then what you do is you then tally up your score, all right? And as you tally up your score, then it tells you what your gifts are. So 
my first gift, actually, I have four gifts where I scored 15, which is, let me just tell you, that is very high. Okay. <laughs> Exhortation, <laughs> like, duh. Leadership, pastoring, teaching, and the last two are great. Prophecy and wisdom. All right, now, I want to suggest to you that um, that spiritual gift tests really are um, not what Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians. Um, you can get a flavor just by looking at, I have extraordinary sensitivity to this or that, right? Well, I mean, who... who by, by the way, are you, how, how good of a judge are you of yourself to begin with, right? Um, I mean, I would say, well, of course, I'm always sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And Ariel would probably say, no, you're never sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so anyway, this is not what Paul has in mind. The, the, the fallacy, in a sense, is... I get, I get plugged in to thinking that, well, that's my gift, and that's my gift, and that's not my gift, and then that becomes the arbiter of what I do and don't do in the body of Christ. There's also the, the, the danger of the Corinthian error, which is to become inflated with a sense of self-importance because of the gifts that I do have, which if we keep reading in 1 Corinthians 12, and we'll get there in due time, Paul's going to say it's the unseemly members that are worthy of the most honor, not the ones that are the, the, the most visible. It's the ones, it's the lowliest. It's the ones that, that are the unseemly members that, that are deserving of most honor. And so in a sense, the, the, the whole spiritual gift approach of trying to find out what it is so that you know what you have and what you do. And, and of course, we don't often have good evaluations of ourselves. And so we end up turning Paul on his head. The Corinthians were enamored with, uh, with, with speaking in tongues. I think that the Corinthians probably looked at tongues uh, much like in the modern charismatic movement, the way people look at tongues, that this is the badge of spirituality. This is the badge of, of maturity. This is the badge of being the super spiritual, the elite. And Paul is actually going to, to take that mentality and take that perspective and turn it on its head. Right? So Paul begins in verses 4 through 6 by telling us the source of the gifts. And it's, it's very interesting because he says there are a variety of gifts, variety of ministries, variety of effects, same spirit, same Lord, same God. Okay? So he says, first of all, that there's a variety of charismaton, all right? Now, the word variety focuses on the idea of distribution. In fact, the, the word means a division or distribution to someone, an apportionment. Okay? So by saying variety, he's not just saying, you know, this is, um, you know, sort of a cafeteria approach of spiritual gifts and there's all these varieties, what he's saying is that there are various distributions because what he's going to be focusing on is, is actually not the gifts themselves. He's going to be focusing on the fact that it's the Spirit who distributes these to each one as he pleases. In fact, the word that we see in the New American Standard is varieties is used in verse 11 as, as a verb where it says, but one in the same spirit works all these things distributing. That's the same word that we have translated variety, just one's a noun and the other's a verb, to each one individually just as, as he pleases. 
So here's, here's just a helpful observation that I saw. The word itself of distribute or apportion is used, quote, when certain specific roles are assigned among several parts of a whole or several members of a group. And so that really is the, the, the focal point is that it's not that there's a variety in terms of, um, you know, a, a vast number, um, uh, but rather there is a there is various distributions of the spirit the way that we know that that is the emphasis is because throughout the whole section paul says to one this is given to another that is given to one this to the other that right so the emphasis is on on the uh, the fact that the spirit is working in each person in the body, which, of course, undermines the Corinthian elitism. The other reason we know that this is the emphasis is because Paul gives us a list of spiritual gifts, but does he even define one of them? He just he gives us a list, no definition, no explanation, no expansion. He just lists them briefly, and his point is not for us to go, oh, that's me, that's me, that's me. His point is to say the Spirit of God distributes his gifts in the body as he pleases. So the point is not to look around and go, oh, you know what? I bet Charlie's a prophet. I bet, uh, I bet Don can interpret tongues. It's not the point. The point is, is that everybody around you that's in the body has been given an apportionment by the Spirit of God, which means truly that there is a unity in the body, even though there's a diversity of gifts. That's the point. Diverse gifts, all one body, everybody in the body has gifts. So he says, uh, notice the the word that he uses. New American Standard just says gifts. Uh, You might know charismata. That is something freely given, a grace gift, charis, grace, charismata, grace, gift. And so notice what Paul says, in the same Holy Spirit is the giver of each to each, right? So the Spirit of God is the one, verse 4, who gives these distributions of gifts. Now, there's one other thing that probably needs to be said, and that is Paul is not just talking uh, about gifts as if, uh, gifts of the Spirit as if uh, he's taking up the subject for a seminary class. The the whole reality of the gifts of the Spirit has a redemptive historical significance to it. So you might remember in Numbers chapter 11, Joshua sees some people prophesying outside of the camp. You remember this? And Joshua wants to know if Moses wants him to stop these people. By the way, it's very similar to the passage where uh, James and John come to Jesus and says, somebody's actually um, preaching in your name. Should we stop him? And Jesus says, well, he who's not against us is for us, right? Well, in this situation, Moses looks at Joshua and he says, he says this statement, which is, which is prophetic. I wish to God that all of his people had the spirit. I wish to God that all of his people prophesied. Okay. Now, that wish of Moses that everybody in the covenant community had the Spirit and was gifted by the Spirit is then prophesied by Joel in Joel 2, 28 and 29, that in the latter days, the Spirit's going to be poured out. I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Not That doesn't mean every single human being, but it means everybody within the covenant community. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Uh, young men will see visions and so forth. And there's this sense of 
with the events of Jesus, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, then the outpouring of the Spirit, the Spirit then is, is the possession of everybody in the covenant community. Under the old covenant, only a few people had the Spirit. In the new covenant, everybody that's in the covenant has the Spirit. And everybody's gifted by the Spirit in the new covenant. Right? This is one of the, this is one of the blessings of Jesus ascending into heaven and pouring out his spirit on the church. Okay. So here's, here's the new covenant reality is that if you are a Christian, you're in union with Christ, you're born again of his spirit, you have the spirit, and you're gifted by the spirit. It's not as if there are the haves and the have-nots. This, this, by the way, is just one of the, one of the fundamental flaws of, of traditional um, Pentecostal theology, and that is, that is the idea that, that some have the Spirit and some don't. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ, Romans 8 9. So the spirit of the new covenant has been given to everybody, and that's what Paul's emphasizing, is that the, the same spirit, so that, by the way, same spirit's emphasizing the unity, the same spirit has given a diversity of apportionments of gifts in the body to each one. Okay. Notice what he says next. Variety of services or ministries, but the same Lord. So he's saying, in a sense, the same thing. There's, there's a variety of assigned ministries. Now, the word that he uses is service. Okay? So that could be any function of service. So, for instance, this word is used for the collection for the poor saints of Jerusalem. That was a ministry or a service. Um, it's used in Ephesians 4.11, the works of service. Okay? It's used for the ministry or the service of the word, Acts 6.4. Sometimes it's just used as just a general word, um, meaning any kind of, of serviceable function in the body of Christ. So, so Paul says, um, bring John Mark with you, for he's useful to me in service which could be something as basic as, you know, table waiting, right, so to speak, right? You know, you, th- that's the, 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 the diaconate in, in Acts 6, the serving tables, right? Or it could be the service of the word, right? It's any kind of service. And so Paul says here then that, that there is a variety of services or ministries. Okay? Oftentimes, this word is just used really generically. Jesus says in, in Revelation 2.19, I know your deeds, your love, your faith, your service, your perseverance. Okay? So a variety of gifts, same spirit, variety of ministries or services, but same, the same Lord. So it is the same exalted Christ who is, who is the giver of each ministry to each person. And so again, just as sure as the Spirit has, has given to each in the body a gift, so the Lord has given to each service. Now that does, does raise a question for us, it should. And that is, if that's true, then how do I serve, right? How do I serve? And we, of course, have lots of wonderful servants at Grace Community Church, right? A lot. And we are blessed with people that do all kinds of things, small and great. But it begs the question, if God, if, if the resurrected, ascended Lord has given to each a service or a ministry, 
And, and of course, I'm assuming that the service in the ministry uh, and the gift in the ministry uh, are, are obviously compatible with each other, but the Lord has given us these things to do, then how are we doing it? What are we doing? So I want to say that um, on a, a, a Sunday morning when the food's being put out for lunch, that's a work of service. When the tables are being wiped down, that's a work of service. Okay. When you pull somebody aside and, and, and find out that they're having a crisis and you're praying with them, that's a work of service. If you preach, it's a work of service. If you fold up chairs and put away tables, it's a work of service. Right? There's, there's, there's all kinds of things that God has given for us to do. And the thing is, is that it's not just a matter of you being a, a, a workhorse and raised with a good work ethic. It's a matter of the risen Lord giving you things to do. Same spirit, same Lord. So Hannah playing the song for us tonight, work of service. Okay. Okay. Strachan trying to help me lead, not so much, but he still gets credit. And notice verse 6. There are varieties of effects. I'm going to tweak this just a little bit so you can see the play on words. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who affects all things in all persons. So there's this, there's this wonderful little play on words that, that there are a variety of effects. That is a variety of activities. We could say a variety, a distribution of outcomes, an apportionment of results. In other words... There are, just as sure as there's a distribution of various gifts and a distribution of various services, there's also the distribution of various outcomes and results. And here's the thing is that Paul then turns around and says, and it's God who's working all these things out. And so he's working all things in everyone. You remember uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians in, in chapter 3, verse 6, uh, so uh, uh, I watered or, or uh, I planted Apollos water. It's God who gives the increase, right? It's God who's actually causing the stuff to grow. Th- th- Paul's making the same point here. You have a gift, you have a gift, you have a gift, you have a ministry, you have a ministry, you have a ministry, and God is working in everybody not just a select few, but in everybody. And all of the fruit that you see, all of the outcome that you see is simply God working it all out. Diverse gifts, diverse people, diverse results, same God working. By the way, if you're observant, you just notice Paul's Trinitarianism. Spirit, Lord, God. By the way, for Paul, Lord is almost always Lord Jesus. Okay? And so here you see this. Uh, it, it, do, you think that, do you think that it's an accident that Paul would uh, slip in some Trinitarianism in verses 4 through 6? It's not accidental at all. Why? Because the Trinity itself is unity and diversity. One God eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Unity, diversity. Um, Unity, diversity of function. The Father doesn't die on the cross. The Son does. The, 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 uh, The Spirit doesn't send the Son. The Father and the Son send the Spirit and so forth. So you've got unity and diversity within the Trinity and, of course, unity and diversity within the body. And so Paul is emphasizing the fact that, that, there's, that there's one triune God who is at work and he's distributing a variety of gifts. He distributes um, all different kinds of, of ministries and yet he is working in everybody. Gordon Fee says, 
not uniformity, which was the Corinthian model, but diversity in the context of unity, which is God's model, is absolutely essential for a healthy church. You know, at the Reformation, there was a a really wonderful thing that happened, and that was the priesthood of believers, right? And the priesthood of believers taught by Luther, taught by Calvin, really taught taught, uh, consistently by the Reformers was the idea that everybody is their own priest before God. You don't need a human mediator. So pastors aren't priests. Okay? Everyone's their own priest because of Christ, right? But one thing that didn't, didn't really necessarily get fully worked out at the Reformation was the, the implication of the priesthood of believers. Because especially in the, in the magisterial Reformation, you still had a fundamental distinction between um, uh, clergy laity So the clergy, they were the ones that did the work of the ministry. The laity basically didn't, which I think is actually a model that's inconsistent with the idea of the priesthood of believers. In the second generation after the Reformation, there started to be an emphasis on, on what we would now call every member ministry ministering to each other, praying for each other, building each other up, serving one another, right? And, and so where does that idea come from? Well, it comes right from Paul. Okay. Now, d- does he understand that, that the way that, that Christ gifts the church, that, that not everybody does the same thing? Well, exactly, that's what he has just said. But he has also said that the same spirit and the same God is working in all of his people. So God is at work in you and through you just as sure as he is working in and through your elders and your deacons. And in fact... He may be working in you and through you more effectively at times than elders and deacons. It is the same God who is working in all of us. There's no elitism. There's no no hierarchy of who has more of the spirit and who has less. And, 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 and yes, we value, we value preeminently the ministry of the word and, and everything else. But the fact is, is that, is that my act of service is no more valuable in the sight of God than your act of service. God may look upon what you do on a Sunday morning just by simply encouraging somebody, giving them a word of encouragement, giving them a scripture, praying for them, putting your arm around them, crying with them, may look at that as, 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 as far more beautiful service than anything that was done up front. If Paul goes on, in verse 7, he gives us the purpose of the gifts. This is, this is really so critical, right? But to each one, notice the emphasis again, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for a big show. For the common good. For the common good. So so right here in verse 7, Paul actually explicitly says what the purpose of the gifts is. And so he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. So to each, again, is emphasizing both the participation and the inclusion of everyone in the body. Everyone 
is given, now notice this language, the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, what, what does Paul mean by the manifestation of the Spirit? He, he does not mean what, what, what you might think he means. Manifestation of the Spirit in context is just gifts and service and results. That's manifestation of the Spirit. Manifestation of the Spirit may be ordinary, it may be, it, it may draw attention. Manifestation of the Spirit is just simply the gifts that He's given, the ministries that He's given, and the results that God brings about. That's the manifestation of the Spirit. Now, this could be the manifestation of the Spirit, or it could be the Spirit's manifestations. Really, probably not a whole lot of difference between the two, but. This is what the Spirit is doing through the gifts, is he's manifesting himself. <laughs> you know, we, we, we read these and, and we think to ourselves that, uh, that, that the manifestation of the Spirit has got to be, you know, something really spectacular. So let, let's go back to um, wiping down tables after lunch. Guess what? It's a manifestation of the Spirit. Praying with somebody and encouraging them. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. Teaching the Word. Manifestation of the Spirit. Loving somebody. Manifestation of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. Takes ordinary people, uses ordinary things, and manifests His His grace. And notice the the final clause, for the common good. So why does he do this? For the common good. It's what advances the best interest of the body. It's what advances the profit of the body, the advantage of the body. And so for Paul, and and boy, this is is so important, the profit, the, the bestowal of gifts, the distribution of gifts, the distribution of services and ministries, the, the, the working of God in the results of those things, God does those things to edify the body and to bring about the common good. In other words, gifts and ministries are for the benefit not of the individual, but for the body. Keep that in mind as we go through this. So what, what so whatever whatever gift you have or gifts and whatever service and ministry you've been given, God, God didn't give it to you for your own personal benefit. He gave it to you for the common good. To do good to the people around you. Why is that so important? Well, the Corinthians who made an ostentatious display of their gifts, particularly tongues, made the gifts all about themselves. Look at me. I've got the most visible gift. I've got the loudest gift. I've got the most spectacular gift. And Paul says, don't you understand that whatever God has given you, he's given it to you for the common good, not your own private benefit. I wonder how that would change our view of spiritual gifts if that was like the first principle. What you have is for the common good. Build up the body. Now, Paul, in verses 8 through 10, gives us a partial list of the gifts. And I say it's partial because there are other gift lists. Paul gives a gift list in Romans 12, 6 to 8. He gives another gift list in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 30. He gives a gift list in Ephesians 4, 11. 
Peter gives a gift list in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11. And all of them are different. So the, the reasonable assumption is that this is a partial list. So then the question is, is, is this list in 8 through 10, is it random? Is Paul just sort of like rattling off his favorites off the top of his head? Or is it intentional and specific? Good question, right? So there's a, there's a scholar at, um, at Talbot, Ken Birding. He actually suggests that Paul indicates the, the nature of his lists. In other words, Paul, Paul groups things together around a, a, a theme or there, there's a purpose why Paul has a list that's like this one here and then it's a little different at the end of the chapter and it's different again in Ephesians 4, 11 and it's different again in Romans 12, 6 to 8. And so Birding suggests that the, the list here is given because it's emphasizing activities and manifestations of the Spirit. That's sort of the thing that holds it together. He then suggests that at the end of the chapter, the, the, the indicator is that Paul's now focusing on appointments and placements in the body. So that list is different than the manifestation list, all right? And I think that that's probably true. But here's, here's, here's the list. Through the Spirit is given to one word of wisdom. To another, word of knowledge. Most critical statement, according to the same spirit, right? Don't don't miss what Paul repeats over and over. To this one, this. To that one, that. By the same spirit. So, word of wisdom and word of knowledge. We'll deal with both of those together. This is a rhetorical question, just to let you know. What is a word of wisdom? Well, does Paul use word and wisdom together in any other place? And the answer is yes, but it doesn't necessarily help us. He uses Logos and Sophia, Sophia, Back in chapter 2, where he says he doesn't preach the gospel, the word of the cross, in words of wisdom. That's the only other place where Paul actually puts these words together. And there it's quite negative, isn't it? Here, not so much. So, So the question is, well, what is a word of wisdom? Now, here's here's what we do. We, we think to ourselves, oh, a word of wisdom, a wise word. Okay. I mean, that's how, that's, how we do, that's how we do our Bible interpretation, right? What's a word of wisdom? Well, whenever I say anything that's wise, gift of the Spirit. If you're smart, you'd listen. Because I got the gift of the word of wisdom. Okay. I'm not, uh, not exactly sure that we should understand Paul in precisely that way. What about word of knowledge? Well, there's a fun one, okay? So again, where Paul speaks of word of wisdom, word of knowledge, uh, as far as gifts of the Spirit, he doesn't even define what these are. What's the emphasis? Same Spirit. That's the emphasis. To each, same Spirit. So let me, just, let me just give you a little survey here just to kind of show you how challenging this can be. So Tom Schreiner has a new book on spiritual gifts. It's actually really, really good. And uh, Schreiner says, um, word of wisdom and word of knowledge actually uh, probably both refer to the gift of teaching with no real sharp distinction between knowledge and wisdom. 
he argues that because he says, if you look at this list, teaching isn't mentioned at all. Which seems weird because Paul is always talking about teaching. Uh, wisdom is linked with the proclamation of the cross, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.18, and word often refers to gospel or what is taught. And so Schreiner says, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, that's just the ability to teach God's word, which is both wisdom and knowledge. Okay? That, that totally makes sense to me. All right? Totally makes sense to me. Sam Storms who's a continuationist, believes the revelatory gifts continue, he deals with this a little differently. He sees both gifts of wisdom and knowledge, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, as a phenomenon of prophecy. So he says it could be, he's careful about it, it could be revelatory insight into how wisdom and uh, how i.e. wisdom, and what knowledge of a person's life. So, so the way that he sees this working is, is something like this. He actually, this is, this is his illustration. Uh, this, this guy comes to him, and he's in crisis, and he's having a breakdown, despairing, and Storms is talking to him, and um, the, the name Denise keeps coming into his mind. And then finally, uh, Storms asks him a question, and he says, well, I have this girlfriend named Denise. And I want to say, so? I mean, it it was a revelation of what? Well, I don't want to get too critical here, so let me just tell you what. So then he's talking to him more, and then he starts praying for him. And as he's praying for him, then the name Derek starts popping into his mind. And so he stops and he says, do you know anybody named Derek? He says, yeah, well, Derek is a good friend of mine who's been helping me understand the Bible and showing me the way that I should go. And Storm says, well, you should listen to Derek. Okay. So that's the way that he would say, so God's giving this revelatory insight, okay, now, we'll talk a little bit more about this when we get to prophecy, when we get to 1 Corinthians 14. But I just, just, I just question, actually, the significance of that as revelation. Okay? Right? Right? So, wisdom to me would be like, do you have anybody in your life who's helping you spiritually? Yeah, a guy named Derek. I don't need to be told the name is the name Derek, right? You see what I'm saying? So I think that to make appeals like this, you know, and, and he's cautious, he's not dogmatic. In fact, Grudem, who's kind of in the same uh, stream, actually sees tentatively both word of wisdom, word of knowledge as non-miraculous, and Grudem says probably just the ability to speak with wisdom or knowledge in certain situations. You ever talk to somebody? So, um, so Charlie and I will be talking about um, somebody that he was talking with or I was talking with, and, and we'll say things like, uh, you know, I was talking to this person and just really uh, asked him X, Y, and Z, and I think that was really from the Lord. Well, why would you think that? Well, because it ended up being an insightful question or an insightful observation that, was really helpful, that was, that was wise, that gave some direction. Can the Spirit do that? And the answer is, of course, the Spirit can do that. I hope the Spirit does that. If the Spirit doesn't do that, then I probably should just keep my mouth shut, right? But I don't think it's divine revelation, right? Um, another um, guy that's a continuation is Craig Keener, actually a very, very fine New Testament scholar believes that wisdom is connected with divine mysteries and divine revelation. And so the person that had a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge would actually have special insight into God's purposes. And so sometimes, sometimes you hear something like this, that the word of knowledge is a supernatural knowledge about a human need or a situation, um, which, which, by the way, even among charismatics is a minority opinion. 
okay? Understand that. So the word of the idea of word of knowledge uh, looks something like this. Um, you know, um, there's somebody here tonight, and um, the Lord told me your back hurts. Okay. All right. Well, that's about half of us, right? Okay. So, uh, okay. Well, let's be a little more specific. Um, you know, the Lord told me that your name is Derek and your back hurts, right? Um, some sort of special insight or knowledge that you wouldn't have otherwise. That actually is so, sort of like what you see on, uh, like, televangelists, right? Right, that, that kind of thing. Um, even most charismatics that are, that are, you know, that take the Bible seriously will say word of knowledge probably has to do with the conveyance of knowledge, which would be, of course, teaching. Right. So here are the first two gifts, word of wisdom, word of knowledge. Um, my, my take on it is that it is uh, related to teaching and that w- there would be a, a nuanced emphasis of wisdom or knowledge in either of those. Notice verse 9, to another, faith by the same spirit. Now, this is, this is not saving faith. Phil brought this up last week. So this is, this is not saving faith. To whom does God give saving faith? Well, well, to all of his people, right? So, I mean, if you don't have saving faith, then you're not his people, right? So saving faith is, in fact, a gift from God, but it is uh, the like, uh, same like faith as all of God's people. This probably, since it is mentioned as a gift, is probably what could be called a particular endowment of faith. Somewhat uh, extraordinary faith. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, 1 Corinthians 13.2. James 5.15, the prayer of faith will heal the sick, right? So, So there are times where God may gift people with, with a certain measure of faith that is an extraordinary measure, right? So let me, let me, just, let me give you two examples that I think are, 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 are pretty indisputable in the sense of the supernatural gift of extraordinary faith. First of all, think of, uh, of George Mueller, right? George Mueller did not just have ordinary faith. George Mueller had extraordinary faith. Uh, George Mueller ran orphanages in Bristol, England, and never asked for a dime. And when, uh, it, when, when there was no food, when there was no money, um, he just made his needs known to God. And he always had this sense of confidence that God was going to answer his prayers. That's extraordinary, Right? How many of you pray and you're just like, I know before I say amen, somebody's going to knock on the door and leave 10 loaves of bread for the children. That was George Mueller. It was remarkable. Uh, I I think also of somebody like William Carey. William Carey, who who heads to, to India. And what was his profession? He wasn't a seminary professor. He wasn't a linguist. He wasn't anything other than a shoemaker. And he had a desire to take the gospel to the heathen in India. And that desire was driven by this sense of extraordinary faith. And so, so there, were, there were two things that, 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 that Mark William Carey to me. One is, is that his verse that compels him to go to India, right? Go to India at a time when nobody's going to India. He's not going to, to established mission stations that are already populated by missionaries that have been there for decades. We're, we're talking about pioneer missions. And he lays hold of John ten sixteen. I have other sheep who are not yet in this fold. I must gather them also. It's like, well, if that's true, Jesus has sheep in India, and I better go. 
Okay, that's extraordinary faith. And then William Carey would say this. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. You know what that kind of faith does? Produces people like William Carey. The, I, would, I would argue that this, that this gift of faith is, is given to those that live a kind of life of confidence in God that is, that is truly extraordinary. One writer says, the gift of faith is that mysterious surge of confidence that rises within a person in a particular situation of need or challenge, which gives an extraordinary certainty and assurance that God is about to act through word or action. Uh, Second uh, part of verse 9. To another, now notice this, to another, gifts of healings. Both are plural, by the way. Gifts is plural, and healings is plural. Now, some people think that, that what, why it's plural is because God gives different kinds of gifts of healing. So uh, I might specialize, for instance, in uh, leg lengthening, and Charlie may specialize in gold fillings, okay? Um, you know, uh, somebody else may specialize in leprosy, you know, and so uh, I, I really, I really doubt the, the, the exegetical validity of, of, of that view, all right? I think that the emphasis in terms of gifts of healings, um, Gordon Fee, actually great exegete, but a classic Pentecostal, actually says that the plural here, charismata, probably suggests not a permanent gift, but as it were, each occurrence as a gift in its own right. So God may give gifts of healings to his people. Now that may come through a person at a given point by their prayer, all right, but it is, in a sense, each occurrence of healing is a gift to the body in and of itself, right? Why, why does that make sense? Well, because not even the apostles healed at will. You realize that? The apostle Paul, for instance, I mean, if you could heal at will, then you'd probably be able to heal yourself, right? Paul was unable to heal himself of the thorn in his flesh. But listen to this. This is uh, in, in Philippians. He says, this is 2.25, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need, because he was longing for all of you and was distressed, distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Epaphroditus was sick, and Paul didn't just say, "Eh, Epaphroditus, be healed. You remember what Paul tells Timothy? Take a little wine for your stomach ailments. He didn't say, lay your hands on the TV. Okay? Take a little wine for your stomach, right? Wine had a medicinal purpose. And so the apostles did just heal at will. God distributed gifts of healings through the apostles. So, so what this means is that gifts of healings were occasional according to the will of God for whatever purpose. So... You don't have gifted healers. You have gifts of healing. 
difference. Difference. By the way, let me just say um, one thing that should be obvious to us, and that is that people who claim to have a healing ministry, right, are charlatans. Um, some of you remember the name um, Catherine Coleman. Um, you could even back up and go to Amy Simple McPherson. And they would have these huge tent meetings and they would have sick people line up and they would pray for the sick. Until, of course, they were done praying for the sick. And um, somebody that had followed Catherine Coleman around, for instance, said one of the most heartbreaking things was once the cameras were off and Mrs. Coleman was done with the show, seeing all the people with the little kids in wheelchairs and suffering from other ailments in tears because they missed their chance of healing. It's a sham. It is a sham. To claim that you have the gift of healing and you heal basically at will, then why not for the sake of mercy go to a cancer ward, a pediatric cancer ward, and heal the kids, right? Nobody does that. Nobody. And you know, there's something else too. Not that, not that this is what I wanted to talk about, but here we are. The stuff that's healed is typically things that are not, um, let's say, Organic, like cancer, paralysis. It's stuff that is, well, let's say you can have a psychosomatic influence on, I've got a bad back. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times where God, as a sheer act of mercy, doesn't heal somebody, right? There, there are times where that, where that may well happen. I think uh, this is a long, long time ago. Charlie and Ingrid re- will remember. Remember Gordon, right? And, um, and I can't remember exactly what was wrong with him now, but maybe it was a bad back. I can't remember. But... Um, I'm not saying that God doesn't, as, as a sovereign act of mercy, do things from time to time. But what I'm saying is the person that puts up a shingle or puts up a tent and says, I'm a healer, don't believe them. Okay. James 5, any among you sick, let him call for the elders who will anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and pray. Right? By the way, we do that. We believe that. We believe that. You're sick? Tell the elders, we'll pray for you. We will gather around you, lay hands on you, and ask God to do great things for you. But it's according to his will. And that's not a statement of disbelief. That's a statement of ultimate confidence in the goodness and wisdom of God. Faith is not telling God what to do, bossing him around and dictating who he needs to heal. Verse 10, we'll have to stop with this one. To another, workings of powers. There again, we have plural, workings of powers, plural. Uh, Schreiner says, this is probably not to be too distinguished from uh, gifts of healing, which that might be true. Uh, Grudem says, any kind of activity where God's mighty power is evident, demonic deliverance, deliverance from immediate danger, or an act of 
divine judgment, for instance, like in Acts 5 with Ananias and Sapphira. Okay? So this is the beginning of, of the gifts. And it's always, it's always interesting. Nobody, nobody walks away from a spiritual gift inventory and says, hey, I've got the gift of powers. Nobody comes away with that one. It's always like encouragement, you know, helps, administration, stuff like that. Nobody says, I have the ability to raise dead people. Okay. Well, we're not going to have a Bible study next week, but the week after, and we will get to the uh, relatively boring ones of prophecy, discerning of spirits, and various kinds of tongues. All right? So... <laughs> Sorry to leave off there, but, you know, um, I have a word of knowledge that it's one minute to eight and I should stop. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit and the gifts that your spirit gives. And we thank you for the body of Christ. We thank you for one another. And we ask, Father, that we would serve you and serve one another with full hearts, dependent on you, trusting you that you will always give us what we need to do what you've put in front of us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.